When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Putin has made it very clear that he wants to reunite the Soviet Union and that he is not ethically constrained. There is no such thing as risk-free sanctions, but our risk tolerance has to rise in the face of an actual land war in Europe. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. There is the size that the economy is not super robust. Pennsylvania has thousands of structurally deficient bridges. The need has been pronounced for a while, and Joe Biden got it done. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The drive to ban insider trading in Congress is gaining momentum while the diplomatic standoff with Russia continues on the other side of the world. We'll discuss both with Representative Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia, former CIA officer who now serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, now sponsoring legislation to ban lawmakers from trading stocks. She's up first on the fastest hour in politics And later, as Congress debates the future of defense spending post-Afghanistan, we'll get into the fine print with Todd Harrison from the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis is with us, along with Samantha Carl Yoder, Democratic strategist and policy director at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber and Shrek. The House set to pass a short-term bill, by the way, I want to mention off the top, to fund government operations through March 11th. That's going to be the deal here. It then goes to the Senate. Leaders seem to think that will buy them enough time to craft an actual budget. We want to bring in Representative Abigail Spanberger to start things off. Democrat from the northern suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, with some thoughts on a few things, including, well, let's get started. Congresswoman, welcome back to Bloomberg. Thank you so very much for having me. I'm looking forward to your thoughts on a few things, including your push to ban insider trading in Congress. But first, as a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, you're dealing with Russia and Ukraine every day, and you know more about it than most. Congresswoman, it does not feel like we're moving away from conflict today. We're hearing reports now of Russia going so far as to even send blood supplies to the Ukrainian border. Do you believe Vladimir Putin will invade? So what I do know is that Russia continues to take really aggressive steps uh, to undermine international norms around the world. I do know that At this point, Russia has about 70 percent of their military forces and equipment along the Ukrainian border. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what would presumably or not presumably, that's what we know would be um, necessary for a full scale invasion. Um, So at this point in time, you know, we know that Russia is preparing for potentially the worst case scenario. And so the United States, of course, should be as well. Are lawmakers closer to finding agreement on a sanctions package now that he's indicated 
at least as we understood from his public statements, that he's on board with whatever the U.S. is planning to do or whatever our NATO allies are prepared for. Yes, yeah, so certainly seeing the President Biden and, and German, uh, the German Chancellor kind of giving a united message, articulating uh, that the United States and our, our partners are working in long, lockstep along with the rest of our allies is a, an important signal. Certainly on the congressional side, uh, there is broad support and agreement that we need to uphold democratic values, ensure a strong stance uh, as it relates to a, an ever-aggressive Russia, um, and certainly doing that in a united way uh, yeah. with our with our um, uh, European counterparts is is an important one. So uh, we're we're certainly moving forward. Uh, no no legislation uh, that will be receiving a vote today. Right. Um, but I. I think notably, um, we're working to make sure everyone's on the same page. It's been curious to see this partisan debate about whether to trigger sanctions immediately, hold something for later versus holding everything for a possible invasion. Uh, as a Democrat, are you in the hold everything for a possible invasion camp? Well, I think my, my first frame of reference is as a former CIA officer, uh, yeah. a former case officer. I worked undercover for the entirety of my time with the agency and uh, was uh, certainly focused on a whole host of international security issues, uh, Russia and our relationship with Russia being among them. So I am in the camp of kind of taking the right steps at the right time. I, mm-hmm. I am not um, one to predetermine what that what that is, because this is a, an ever-evolving circumstance. And certainly, as we see, uh, we should be ready for any possible contingency. We should be ready to punch as hard as we can as it relates to sanctions, um, at whatever point in time we decide to to move in that direction. And I, uh, I'm i not predetermining what that time is. I want to ask you more uh, about your view as a former CIA officer. Do we have the intelligence we need on the ground in Russia or Ukraine, for that matter, but specifically Russia, to understand what is happening before it happens? I mean, I think we certainly have uh, incredibly strong intelligence. Certainly, you've seen in recent days the administration and the intelligence agencies have made public a number of uh, things related to Russian actions, Russian plans and intentions uh, that would have only been garnered through excellent um, and strong intelligence collection. Uh, But I think any intelligence professional uh, present or past would say that you, you never fully know what it is you don't know. Um, so certainly we should always be looking with a critical eye towards what it is that we do know um, and, and recognize that there, there may always be potential um, gaps or additional things that we should be collecting on. We're spending time with Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia, here on Bloomberg Sound On. And I'd like to ask you about the personal trading ban uh, that you're pursuing for members of Congress. It's one of several efforts that we've talked about on this program to stop insider trading on Capitol Hill. Is this about perception, though, or, or practice, Congresswoman? Why not just begin by enforcing the laws already on the books? Well, so, you know, at this point in time, I think perception is reality. We, as members of Congress, should want to avoid not only impropriety, but even the perception of impropriety. Yeah. Um, and, and what we do know is in the early days of 2020, as there were allegations of various different members of the House of Representatives and Senators, who were buying and selling stocks that to the average person appeared to be related to the pandemic um, and presumably to information they would have had um, uh, as members of Congress related to that pandemic. Uh, Mm -hmm. But those individuals have all been exonerated of any wrongdoing. Right. But that's that's (laughs) so the you know, the law as it exists is working, is functioning. Um, But but what we 
then continue to see is the American public saying, yeah, yeah, that doesn't really pass the smell test. That doesn't look right to me. That mm-hmm. makes me think that Congress is all, you know, up on Capitol Hill, uh, focused on their own financial portfolios more so than they are the needs of the American people. Yeah. And and so it, this isn't an issue of kind of tightening, further tightening um, uh, ramifications of existing law, because I would argue that the existing law isn't working. The fact that when there are reports out that members of Congress or senators are buying and selling this and the American people's kind of collective response sure. is, oh, yeah, well, that checks out. Right. Um, then we're, we're obviously not doing enough. And so for me, the solution is um, if the American people, generally speaking across the board, view it that us being able to buy and sell individual stocks is, is an impetus or creates a space where we might be putting our own priorities, our own financial best interests ahead of sure. the best interests of the American people, then we should outright ban it. Do you need uh, the support of the speaker on this? Do you need Nancy Pelosi on board? I understand she doesn't see them as, as necessary. You know, I mean, we're working at, at this point in time. We have, um, you know, more than wait, I just got notification. We just added another co-sponsor. So we're 45 or more co-sponsors on this legislation, Democrats and Republicans. Certainly Chuck Schumer just uh, came out publicly um, saying that, um, you know, that that he supports it in principle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really, um, you, you know how to get bipartisan momentum going is really it's it's as we move this forward. Um, sure. And so, you know, my my goal is to <laughs> make sure that um, the the Speaker of the House recognizes just how important this is, because it's certainly important to the American people. It's certainly important to the members of Congress that have already taken the steps of co-sponsoring it. And yeah, it right. appears to be ever increasingly important to members of the United States Senate. And this covers spouses, right? The, the Trust in Congress yeah. Act covers spouses of lawmakers. Our bill covers spouses, so it would it would make sure it would prohibit members of Congress, their spouses or their dependent children uh, from buying or mm-hmm. selling individual stocks. If you uh, have stocks when you get to Congress, you can sell them before you get here. Or you can put them in a blind <laughs> trust. OK, um, it's pretty straightforward. Those of us in the financial news business are pretty familiar with policies like these. And sometimes <laughs> I wonder if uh, if those are as strict on Capitol Hill. President Biden's going to your town, uh, to your district, at least to talk about his economic agenda in a couple of days. Does that mean Democrats will continue to, to pursue the Build Back Better plan this year? I, you know, I, I, I can speak to what it is I'm pursuing, which is I'm pursuing policies that are going to lower the cost of prescription drugs. That's why I support HR three, uh, the lower prescription drug cost. Now, it's why I was a major advocate of the prescription drugs related policies in mm-hmm. the Build Back Better framework that we passed out of the House. So at least parts um, of Build Back Better. Whether whether it becomes. Uh, part of a larger piece of legislation or moves as standalone. I mean, yeah. the, the legislation that we passed out of the House, um, either H.R. 3 or as part of the Build Back Better Act framework, I mean, this, we're talking cost savings. Cost savings not, o- not only to the consumer, to the individual that is you know, spending um, you know, month after month wondering how they might uh, pay for their prescription drugs, but also cost yeah. savings to the United States government. Um, in allowing Medicare to be able to negotiate prescription drug costs. And um, in, in fact, recognizing that the, the benefit here is not only to the individual, but to the, to, to the fiscal um, kind of fiscal future of our country, I think is important. Yeah. So I'm, You famously uh, said to the New York Times after the Virginia elections that nobody elected the president to be FDR. They elected him to be normal and stop the chaos. That line yeah. was repeated a lot of times. It was the basis for a lot of political segments. As you head into the midterm elections, did the president hear you? Uh, (laughs) 
I believe that the president has heard me. Certainly, I know he's talked to me directly about that. Um, and, huh. uh, and, it sounds and almost a, like something a, he would say, actually. Did he appreciate it? <laughs> he had a good laugh, actually. We had a, a pretty pretty funny conversation about that. Um, and, you know, and, and what I was able to communicate to him, and, and certainly I'll reiterate when he comes to our district, is that, you know, the American people continue to be challenged by the ongoing impact of the pandemic. And, um, you know, while we're moving in the right direction, while the American Rescue Plan allowed us to save businesses kind of a, across the country, while the American Rescue Plan allowed us to make billions of dollars investments in our schools and our localities yeah. to really kind of stabilize our communities, do massive vaccine programs, you know, people are still facing challenges in, in everyday life. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia. I thank you for the time. I, I'm way over mine. I know that much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So President Biden's taking the next trip outside the bubble to nearby Virginia, promising, of course, promising he would be traveling a lot more this year. He's been trying to make good on it. Axios was first to report and the congresswoman just confirmed here on Bloomberg Sound On that uh, the president will be in the Richmond area Thursday to promote his economic plans. It's part of a week-long drive by the administration to address rising prices. Remembering the big inflation report, the CPI is out the morning of that event on Thursday. And you better believe we'll be talking a lot more about it then. Coming up, we assemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis, along with Democratic strategist Samantha Carl Yoder joining us today. On Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. One year into his presidency, Joe Biden has his lowest approval ratings yet. So while traveling the country, going to Virginia, Congresswoman Spanberger's district helped him recover. Let's assemble the panel now. Bloomberg politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis is with us today, along with Democratic strategist Samantha Carl Yoder, policy director at Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek. Welcome to both of you. Rick, is this the best time to restart the sales pitch, I guess, on Build Back Better uh, when we're engaged in an international standoff with Vladimir Putin? Or, or is that the point? I think the point is that he is running out of time. And so as much as he would love to have a clear field to articulate a message on the economy and not have Russia hanging over him, he, he's got it. And so um, in order to take advantage of the fact that you only have 10 more months left in this election cycle, he's got to get out. He said he was going to get out and 
promote his plan. And that's exactly what he's doing. And frankly, that's probably exactly what he ought to do. I, I, if I were one huh. of his advisors, I'd tell him, don't even come back to Washington. Why? Just stay out there. Because right now, nobody believes his plan. I mean, he has absolutely no confidence in the American public around his uh, economic plan. And unless he improves that, it's, very, it's going to be very hard for him to make a convincing argument huh. as to why Democrats should still be running Washington. Where are you on this, Samantha? Obviously, uh, he's had a lot of opportunity to play commander in chief lately uh, with the whole situation surrounding Ukraine. Does he need to be Uncle Joe also, you know, traveling the country, shaking hands, doing rope lines and talking about Build Back Better, even though it's been left on the shelf for now? He's the president of the United States, and so his ability to pivot and do multiple things is why he is president. I think he's doing the right thing. I think he should be out in Virginia. He should be out selling his plan, showing what he's doing for the American people. The economy is in a better place. You have an increase in jobs. You have um, individuals who are now doing better than they were under previous administrations. I think, yes, you have some issues foreign policy-wise. I think they are working every angle they possibly can on Russia, Ukraine, on China. But frankly, he is working to deliver something, and he wants to have something that he can say during the State of the Union address in March. Rick, what did you make of the Congresswoman's uh, comments on Build Back Better? I, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that the brand is still is still uh, echoing and that we're discussing some of these policies that would not likely get the support of the Joe Manchins or Kirsten Cinemas of the world. And has any of that changed? Yeah, I think the thing that the Democrats seem to be focused on is they, they're convinced these policies are popular, right? And so regardless of whether it's uh, packaged inside of a Build Back Better pitch, we, and many Democrats have dropped that completely. Yeah. We certainly know Joe Manchin has. Uh, but yeah. others uh, are talking a lot about the need to be able to try and pass legislation dealing with the child tax credit and and, and, you know, early family leave and things like that. So um, they, they, they look at the polls and they say, wow, these things are really popular. But what they, I think, missing is uh, that, that this is not what's driving the anxiety of the American public right now. It's inflation. It's, you know, uh, getting through COVID. Uh, there are a whole stack of issues that are much more priority than, the, than, than just the popular things in the old Build Back Better plan. Of course, Samantha, the administration would tell you that this is how to handle inflation, that you you pass Build Back Better. And I wonder if when you look at this and pull back a little bit, 30,000 foot view, which components of this bill have you constructed in your head when you're falling asleep at night? I won't push that too far here. But when, you know, when you squint your eyes, Samantha, and you think about Joe Manchin over there and Kirsten Cinema over here and some of the things that were working pretty well, pre-K, universal pre-K, like Rick mentioned, maybe the expanded child tax credit. What does that bill look like? It is increasingly complicated. And I think certainly if you're talking about smaller them, than the one proposed, though, right? It, it, it's going to be smaller than the one proposed, right? I think what you're going to look at at the end of the day, I see energy tax credits, uh, mm -hmm. the energy portion of that bill sort of floating to the top. I think you're going to have portions of the child tax credit that go forward, certainly universal pre-K. You know, the conversations that the president and, and Senator Manchin have been having, I think that's where things are at. I think the question is going to be, what is it that you slice and dice? And I think certainly from where Senator Manchin is and what he's looking at from his constituency, the energy tax credits are really where his focus is going to be. Mm -hmm. I think, though, you're right. To address inflation, you need to address these issues to get more people back into the workplace so you can spur jobs and to actually have economic growth. You need to have some of these child tax credits so you can have women back in the workforce. Certainly, that's something I personally feel, and um, I understand where they're coming from. I think all roads right now lead through Senator Manchin, and that's where the conversation's at.
man, things. How are we still talking about this in February of 2022? Uh, I feel like I, I I fell into a time warp, Rick, with what you're seeing with Ukraine, with Russia. <clears throat> Germany's chancellor has left. He had a meeting last evening with some of the leaders from Capitol Hill, which I find fascinating. Menendez and Rich up there talking sanctions with Chancellor Schultz at the at the German embassy. Rick, what does the president have to do, uh, if anything, right now? Is the ball in Vladimir Putin's court? Does does Joe Biden sit back and wait? I, I think Joe Biden's got to keep his foot on the gas pedal. I'm, you got to assume that what is currently working uh, might have an impact on 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 Vladimir Putin because he hasn't rolled the tanks yet. And yeah. so whether it's uh, the French president meeting with Putin or uh, having the German chancellor come here, uh, keeping it in the news, keeping it in the forefront, keeping the, the talk about sanctions uh, out there, uh, I would prefer that they actually start leveling some sanctions. Yeah. But um, but like the minute they blink, Vladimir Putin's going to fill that vacuum. So I think they have to maintain the intensity uh, for some time to come. I only have 30 seconds, Samantha. I apologize. But when do we need to see some details on sanctions? Is that this week? I, the, the details on sanctions are there. Um, I am a foreign policy expert. I worked at the State Department for almost 20 years. They are keeping their foot on the gas and they're engaging yeah. with all the parties that they need to engage with. The sanctions packages are being discussed at the highest levels and they're being shared with our allies. And so we know we'll have more time for this later, Samantha. I want to hear you finish your thought. And Rick Davis, our panel today on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to Boston, Bloomberg 106.1, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The headlines just write themselves sometimes. Lawmakers could end up agreeing to a bigger defense budget than they or the president ever asked for. Where have you heard that before? It's being negotiated right now. The omnibus budget will talk about what's needed, what's holding things up with Todd Harrison of the Center for Strategic and International Studies. The House set to pass a stopgap bill I mentioned a little earlier that will fund government operations for a few more weeks while a real budget is crafted Uh, It goes to the Senate next. It'll keep the lights on through March 11th is the plan right now. So you get three weeks to figure out your life. But now that appropriators are really in the throes of this negotiating a budget, we wanted to take a look inside the defense portion of this bill, Pentagon spending, 
with the help of Todd Harrison, Senior Fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Todd, thanks for being here. Republicans are insisting on parity as this negotiation takes place uh, between defense spending and non-defense. Does that end up leaving the Pentagon with more money than it actually needs? Uh, it is likely to increase the, the Pentagon's budget well above what the president initially requested. So the president's request for this year was $715 billion, uh, and it looks like they're likely to end up appropriating about $740 billion, plus or minus, uh, give or take, until we see the final uh, legislation come out. Uh, but it is going to be a substantial increase uh, beyond what the huh. Pentagon was originally planning for. So can you explain to our listeners how that happens? And, you know, another way of asking this is how why do we need more money now? Uh, how is the budget bigger despite the end of the war in Afghanistan? Well, the truth is that Afghanistan had been uh, kind of on a low simmer for quite a while and wasn't really consuming that much of the budget. Uh, the vast majority of the defense budget uh, over 700 billion of it uh, goes for the steady state peacetime operations of the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, funding for Afghanistan had been hovering at around 15 billion a year, uh, including our support to the Afghan government, uh, you know, to help train and maintain their military. Now, some of that funding, um, you know, will still go on in the turn in, in terms of you know intelligence monitoring and keeping an eye on terrorist groups in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, the, the rest of the budget just continues uh, and is driven by other factors. It's driven by, you know, the pacing threat posed by China uh, in terms of developing a higher end, higher tech force uh, and the ongoing threats that we see from Russia. We talked about the National Defense Authorization Act. It was, gosh, it was just weeks ago uh, that was wrapped up and, and finally passed one of the biggest defense spending bills in history. This budget, Todd, just in terms of uh, quickly, in terms of uh, procedure, this budget unlocks that money, right? That's right. So the NDAA is an authorization bill. It Fundamentally, it sets policy and it implies a level of funding, but you can only provide funding in an appropriations <laughs> bill. So right. you have to have the appropriations bill to actually give you the money you spend. Sometimes the two bills are different. What matters in the end in terms of the budget is what's in the appropriations bill. So the pedestrian question here is then, what are we getting for the money, Todd? What more will we get with this budget? What can we do we could not do before? Well, you know, it's a lot of uh, congressional prerogatives. Uh, And so one of the main things you'll see is Congress is restoring money that the Biden administration had taken out for shipbuilding. Uh, and so, you know, the Navy's going to get more ships uh, than was previously planned. Uh, and that is a congressional prerogative. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I get asked a lot is, hey, is, is there waste? Is there inefficiency yeah. in the defense budget? Absolutely. Just so where's like the dead weight? Part of government. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but the, the, the key thing to understand is the waste and inefficiency, for the most part, it's there by design. Uh, It's there because members of Congress, elected members of Congress in our government have decided that they want that. Uh, And so in terms of redundancy or or how do you mean that, Todd? Well, I can give you one example uh, is, you know, Congress has steadfastly refused to close unneeded bases and facilities within the United States. Year after year, the military has asked for that. They Mm -hmm. won't close them. And so uh, the department is spending billions of dollars each year 
to maintain bases and facilities it doesn't need, that it's not even able to fully utilize. Many of which are in areas challenged by climate change, right? That's become a major expense for this Pentagon. It is, it is. But, you know, members of Congress, that's their prerogative. And those bases are in someone's congressional district. That waste is actually preserving jobs in someone's district, Uh and so they want to hold on to that spending, even though it might not be efficiently utilized for national security. I read that a single F-35, the fighter jet, costs about $78 million, which interestingly is less than some of our other forays into stealth fighters and so forth, but these are being sold en masse. Uh, where, Where is the dead weight when it comes to hardware? Do we need what we're buying? Well, you know, I think waste and and inefficiency and dead weight, a lot of that is in the eye of the beholder. Um, I think it's really about risk tolerance. Uh, Where are you willing to take risk? Uh, We're never going to be completely safe from every type of threat. The question is, how much risk do you want to take? If you're willing to say, you know what, I don't think we need to build a military to, you know, have an invasion and occupation force like we used in Iraq and Afghanistan, You say, hey, I I don't think we're going to need to do that in the near future. You could downsize the Army and Marine Corps, just as an example. You'll be taking risk if you do that. uh, Because if something like another 9-11 happens, you need to go do that type of operation, you won't be well prepared for it. Well, so there's Uh, my big picture question for you, Todd. Yeah, so we're talking about, for instance, Russian tanks rolling over the border into Ukraine. We talk about tank battles possibly uh, with China, fighter jets that are intercepting each other uh, over the North Pole. This is not, I mean, look, I'm sure there's very modern technology involved, but that's pretty traditional stuff. Is that the war, the battle we're preparing for? Or is it cyber? Is it digital? To something that I've never heard of. Yeah, so I think what we're really preparing for is more of an asymmetric conflict, right? So that's like cyber attacks and defense against cyber attacks. Yeah. Um, you know, defending our space systems from attack uh, has been a big priority in recent years. But, you know, you talk about, you know, Russian tanks moving over the border. Now, mm-hmm. we're not obliged by treaty to defend Ukraine. They're not Certainly uh, a no. treaty ally. But if that happens to a member of NATO, we would be. How do you buy? So it's all of the above, it sounds like. Todd Harrison, a great conversation of Director of Defense Budget Analysis, International Security Program, Center for Strategic and International Studies. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. With breaking news on the terminal, the House passes stopgap government funding bill sends measure to Senate. So that's done now. Lawmakers just need to finish up a dozen appropriations bills and get an omnibus done by March 11th. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and we reassemble the panel now with Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis. We're also joined today by Democratic strategist Samantha Carl Yoder, policy director at Brownstein Hyatt. Samantha, are we having the right conversation here about Pentagon spending? This is being negotiated now. They're hoping to have a breakthrough imminently. It's more money, it appears, than anyone asked for for our defense. But are, are we preparing for the right battle? I think certainly with the foreign policy issues going on in the world, you know, we're just talking about Russia, Ukraine, you've got China issues, you have the news that are out there about how a lot of our military equipment is decrepit and aging and puts the lives of our military personnel at risk. This is a step towards normalization. Uh, We are spending more money because we need to 
make sure that we are uh, where we are in the world. We need to make sure that we are protecting our folks. And frankly, we have bipartisan support for this. We had a bipartisan vote for the NDAA. We want to ensure that we're spending smartly. We want to make sure that we are spending better, faster, not necessarily cheaper. We don't want to sacrifice safety and quality, and we want to make sure the lives of our men and women are not endangered. Based on what you're hearing, Rick, from your sources and what we've heard so far this hour, is this smart money? Should we be buying more tank ships and planes, or are you more concerned about the digital side of the battlefield? Uh, Joe, I cannot tell you how many arguments I've seen John McCain get into with Trent Lott and others who were representing ports that wanted to build ships, and he wanted to put more things up in space. So, uh, you know, it's the... It, it finds its way to being a good policy, right? I mean, there's always, as um, as you heard, the congressional preference to have things in their districts or to build in yes. airports. But at the end of the day, um, uh, the Defense Department is shifting to a much more asymmetric war, uh, which the world is giving it. And I think they're doing a good job and more resources are probably going to help them get there. And it doesn't seem to be uh, the most controversial, but when we start talking parity, Rick, And I'll ask you this as well in a moment, uh, Samantha. Doesn't that just inherently create waste when we've got non-defense trying to keep up with defense and vice versa? All of a sudden, this thing is getting to be top heavy. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting debate right now because I'm not sure that there's really actually a lot of argument for why we need more money in defense, right? I think the Defense Department certainly is satisfied with an additional $25 billion coming into (laughs) their budget. Uh, It's really almost like how much uh, domestic spending can we really, you know, say yes to if you're a Republican? And so I think that's a healthy debate. Um, You know, the parity debate is always there. But I think this one is beyond parity where it's not so much can you live with $25 billion additional Domestic spending is how much is enough. It's a great double meaning with beyond parity there, Samantha. I hate to set you up like that, but does that scare you when we're being arbitrary uh, and, and, and trying to be, well, I guess, fair? It's, it's always a complicated process. And I think, you know, no one is certainly saying that we need to spend less on domestic issues. I think we, the Democrats, are well aware of the need to spend in certain areas domestically. I think it's it's a push-pull, and it's a way to figure out what it is at this point in time that you are able to fund. Um, parity is one thing. I think certainly from the defense angle, yes, we need to inc- improve our military equipment. I certainly agree with Rick on the need to really focus on cyber issues, putting things up into space, making sure that we're competitive. Yeah. At the same time, we do need to do that on the domestic side. It is a push-pull, and this is why we have lawmakers who are elected to make these tough decisions. Rick and Samantha with us on the panel here on Bloomberg Sound On. I have to ask you both about one of the third rails of politics, and that is weed. As I read the headline here at Marijuana Moment, this is an organization that feeds articles to a lot of newspapers around. It might be in your local paper. They've got their own site. McConnell blasts marijuana banking in House Pass China bill, calling it a poison pill. It is the sixth time that the so-called Safe Banking Act has passed the United States House. This time it went in the America Competes Act, which we've talked a lot about here. The China Competes Bill has got the CHIP Act and everything else inside. Uh, Congressman Perlmutter got this thing in there for a sixth time. It is not likely to survive, based on what we heard from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Here he is. Their bill even goes out of its way to include provisions on, listen to this, marijuana banking. China has been steadily building up its military and economic might, and the Democrats' answer is to help Americans get high? Now, to be clear, the aim of this bill is not to get Americans high, but to actually allow existing 
cannabis companies to use banks and have their stocks traded on stock exchanges. It would allow the federal government to take tax money from them and would prevent them from driving around with hordes of cash, which has become inherently dangerous. Uh, Rick, you heard the minority leader there. How is this uh, so controversial in, in this day and age when we're actually talking about a business, a pro-business bill here? Yeah. I, how much fun do you think he had holding that press conference today? <laughs> um, on, the, on the Senate floor, incidentally. The, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, look, I, I, it's a split in the Republican Party. I mean, Mitch McConnell represents sort of the old school, which is, mm-hmm. hey, we shouldn't be promoting people getting high. This is not great. And, and the fact that we're going to give them access to the American banking system is going to proliferate businesses all through the country. Uh, right now, in order to even do business, you got to do it in a state that's already passed a referendum and yeah. even getting access to that bank may be tough. So there are other Republicans who think, let her rip. The millennial generation is going to change all this anyway. So if it's going to happen before it. That's true, Samantha. We've got Democratic and Republican proposals now to at least unlock banking and then let local jurisdictions do what they will. But to protect them from being you know, arrested or, or have their places smashed it up and robbed and that type of thing. Is that smart politics? It seems to me that this bill itself is good on a number of levels. It's good for law enforcement. You're able to track and trace money. You are eradicating some of the root causes of money laundering in that industry if you're allowing these companies to access banking and mainstream banking services. Yeah. It's good for businesses. As you said, they don't have to worry about carrying around wads of cash and being you know, caught on armed robbery, et cetera. And frankly, it equalizes the playing field. It gives access to those who don't have access to capital, access to markets, which is what we need. There are, what, roughly 40 states or so that allow cannabis uh, companies to operate in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. seems to me that it is time for the, uh, this to happen at the federal level. And we the all know is, that Congressman Perlmutter is going to continue this fight until the end of the year. Oh, yeah. He says he's dying on this hill one way or the other. The, the, the Democrat from Colorado will not be stopped. But although after six times, I don't know what that says about the odds. Samantha, the Democratic leadership is part of the problem here as well. In, in at least this particular form, because Chuck Schumer says there needs to be an equity component to the bill, that we have to, we should be forgiving marijuana offenses, that we should be uh, helping to lift up those in, in, in challenged communities to be part of this new industry instead of just a corporate takeover. Do you think he's right? I think that's going to be a conversation the Democrats have. I think Congressman Perlmutter certainly has Speaker Pelosi's support on moving this bill forward. This, you're right, it's probably going to fall out of uh, the Competes Act through the conference process. Mm-hmm. There will be other vehicles by which this gets attached. But I think certainly the Democrats have to have that conversation about how they can address both what Congressman Perlmutter wants and what Senator Schumer wants. Incidentally, uh, our producer Christine is telling me now that Congressman Ed Perlmutter will be on the broadcast on Thursday. So we're going to have this conversation. I'll be, I can't wait to hear what he's hearing. Rick, did I describe it the right way? Is it actually the third rail anymore? Or is just uh, we've seen too much and, and been through too many things to care? Yeah, the third rail would almost assume there's a partisan divide on this. And, uh-huh. and, and when you look at the state voting on this, as uh, Samantha pointed out, you've got 40 states that have already accepted that. that it is not a partisan issue. So it, it, I think Pearl Murder is, is smart in sort of saying, hey, for Colorado's economy, this is important. Sure. Uh, he's representing a constituency up there in the Rocky Mountain High country. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, I, but I just don't think it's, I mean, like, when Schumer gets into these things on merit, right, and he wants to decriminalize and, right. you know, and they, they want people to be able to list these stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, 
Uh, You're really, this is a comprehensive package that the Biden administration needs to get their hands around and sort of sort out the winners and losers within the Democratic Party, because otherwise it'll just get picked to get to death by people with different agendas. So could Chuck Schumer then uh, be the undoing of this effort by Democrats? Sure. Chuck Schumer could easily slow this down because he's not getting what he wants in the bill. And so I think that the Democrats need to get together and say, look, we're willing to sponsor something. And they'll find Republican co-sponsors, depending upon how many different items they're going to put into a comprehensive bill. Samantha, it seems you you seem to think something passes this year. Is that right? I think that Congressman Perlmutter will continue until the end of the year, as we know. But I agree with Rick that the Democrats need to come together with a comprehensive package, and that's going to take work. I do think the administration needs to weigh in. And I think with that, maybe you get something, but this uh, by itself probably won't go. Calling Cory Booker. Let's get back to it. Rick Davis, great conversation, Bloomberg Politics contributor. And many thanks to Samantha Carl Yoder. Samantha, I really enjoyed the talk. You should come back and see us again. Democratic strategist and policy director. Brownstein Hyatt. you back here tomorrow here on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.